Meditations on Mark is a production of the University Church in Oxford. For more information, visit universitychurch.ox.ac.uk Welcome to the third of our Meditations on Mark. From the beginning of the Gospel, the identity of Jesus is not always evident to other characters in the story. There's a secrecy motif which seems to run throughout the Gospel. Jesus himself speaks in parables, stories which tend to provoke more questioning rather than providing the answer. Why does Mark do this? Meditations on Mark, the third podcast, The Mystery of the Kingdom. Mark chapter 4, verse 10. When Jesus was alone, those who were around him, along with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look, but not perceive and may indeed listen, but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root and endure only for a while. Then, when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lures of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. Mark's Gospel speaks of a mystery or a secret, in Greek, a mosterion, at the heart of Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom. This secrecy motif has fascinated biblical scholars for centuries. Of course, we have explored the way in which the term euangelion, gospel or good news, is an announcement proclaimed by a herald, a truth that is explicit. And yet as Mark's narrative unfolds, we discover a riddle-like quality to the text. Jesus speaks in parables which appear to conceal as much as they reveal. And in Mark chapter 4, in the passage we've just heard, it appears that this strategy of concealment is deliberate. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, 
But for those outside, everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look but not perceive. It's worth noting that when Matthew recounts this story, there's a subtle difference. In the Greek, the word hina, in order that, becomes hoti, which means because. Matthew kind of softens the blow, but it still leaves us with a perplexing question. Why does Mark have Jesus speak in riddles all the time? This passage from chapter 4 comes in the middle of the familiar parable of the sower. Mark has used parables at two points already in his narrative. The first was a cluster of images in chapter 2. Those who are well have no need of a physician. The wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them. New wine and old wineskins. Then in chapter 3, again, Jesus spoke to them in parables and introduces the powerful image of the strong man. In chapter 4, Jesus speaks in parables, a term which is used again and again in the Gospel. The Greek word parabole is often associated with the Hebrew mashal, which refers to a proverb, a riddle, or an allegory. In rabbinic literature, the mashal describes a variety of figural sayings. As Adela Yabro Collins points out in her commentary, nearly all rabbinic mashalim have two parts. The fictional narrative proper is called the mashal, and its application is the nimshal. The mashal usually begins with the phrase, it is like, or the equivalent. The nimshal usually opens with the words, similarly. The nimshal usually concludes by citing a verse from scripture, the mashal's proof text. The citation from scripture is both the exegetical occasion for the mashal and its climax. Ancient and medieval interpreters were used to reading parables as allegories. The word allegory is derived from two Greek words, alos meaning other, and agoruen, which literally means to speak in the agora, or to speak publicly. So the combination of these two words means to say something other than what one seems to say. Now, it's worth mentioning that Mark reads parables allegorically. In the parable of the sower, he provides an allegorical interpretation. If we read the parable of the tenants in the vineyard in chapter 12, there's little ambiguity that this parable is an intentional allegory. Israel is the vineyard, her rulers the vineyard keepers, the prophets are the messengers, Jesus is the son, etc. In the midst of the 20th century, scholars like Jeremias and Dodd suggested that allegory was a Greek literary form which would have been unfamiliar to Jesus. These allegorical readings were consigned to a later period of interpretation in the formation of Mark's narrative. Dodd and Jeremias argued that parables were stories which used colourful everyday imagery, which would resonate with a first century audience, stories with a striking or illuminating punchline. But if that's the case, we would expect these everyday stories to be the most accessible part of Mark's narrative. The paradox is, that these stories are almost always mysterious and puzzling. They serve both to reveal and to conceal. When we actually read the parables in Mark, we discover that a parable can proclaim a truth like a herald does. 
while at the same time concealing a truth like an oracle. Dominic Crossan has suggested that a better definition of a parable is that it is a very short metaphorical narrative. A parable combines a narrative form with a metaphorical process in order to create a paradox. The parables we find in scripture are stories which take the familiar and push the everyday beyond the bounds of its customary meaning in order to disclose something of the mystery of the kingdom. They reach beyond the mundane and the everyday in order to discover the extraordinary beyond the ordinary. This insight helps us to think about the secrecy motif more generally in Mark's Gospel. William Rader famously, of course, suggested that the messianic secret was a literary device to explain why Jesus was not recognised as the Messiah until after the resurrection. Dennis Nynam suggested that the word mysterion was widely used in the Hellenistic religions of the first century. There was a common emphasis on hidden esoteric knowledge, which was known to the insiders and kept from the outsiders. Nynam presented early Christianity as a mystery religion. The mystery was that the kingdom of God was breaking into history through the ministry of Jesus. Other scholars like Morna Hooker explain this secrecy motif by suggesting that Mark's narrative reflects a process of later redaction. For Hooker, it was designed to explain the Jews' failure to accept Jesus as their Messiah. But I wonder if the tension between revelation and concealment and the tendency of the parables to point to the extraordinary beyond the ordinary points to the fact that when we encounter the mystery of the kingdom, we are drawn into the contemplation of a revelation that shatters our categories and exceeds our understanding. This is a point picked up by Rowan Williams in his book Christ on Trial. He says this, Throughout Mark's Gospel, Jesus holds back from revealing who he is, because it seems he cannot believe that there are words that will tell the truth about him in the mouths of others. What will be said of him is bound to be untrue, that he is master of all circumstances, that he can heal where he wills, that he is the expected triumphant deliverer, the anointed. In Anita Mason's novel The Illusionist, this is hauntingly expressed in the reworking of the scene of Peter's confession, where Jesus, in response to what Peter says, replies, You have said something that should never have been said, and there will be a heavy price to pay. There is a kind of truth which, when it is said, becomes untrue. Remember that the world which Mark depicts is not a reasonable one. It is full of demons and suffering and abused power. How in such a world could there be a language in which it could truly be said who Jesus is? Whatever is said will take on the colouring of the world's insanity. It will be another bid for the world's power, another identification with the unaccountable tyrannies that decide how things shall be. Jesus, described in the words of this world, would be a competitor for space in it, part of its untruth. Williams returns to this theme in his little book, Meeting God in Mark, 
He suggests that Mark is meant to bring us to the edge to tell us that our understanding will not manage this in clear, tidy ways. It's a truth that can't easily be spoken, or rather, as soon as it's spoken, it provokes more questioning. We can absorb such a truth only by letting go of what we thought about God and ourselves. I think William's insights help us to understand the tension between revelation and concealment in Mark's Gospel. It's a tension explored by Mark himself a little later in this chapter 4 in verse 21 following. Is a lamp brought in to be put under the bushel basket or under the bed and not on the lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So pay attention to what you hear. Let the reader understand. The parables serve to unsettle our judgment. They perplex us, they challenge us, they even unnerve us. They help us to see beyond our projections, our fantasies and our illusions. They enable us to discover in these small intimations of the kingdom the extraordinary beyond the ordinary and they perform a powerful pedagogical function. Because as Mark's narrative unfolds, we are given the tools to see that even in that moment of his greatest obscurity, that moment of total and complete powerlessness, on the cross, the true identity of Jesus is disclosed and revealed. As a centurion says, truly, this man was God's son. Thanks for listening. The Gospel was read by Elizabeth Dutton. The meditation was offered by me, Will Lamb. Music and sound design by Nicholas Alexander.